Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Roberts. Laura McNerney is a pilot, engineer, skier, climber, mountaineer, kite surfer, van lifer, mountain biker, and the textbook definition of a badass. She ranks among the youngest women ever to join Delta Airlines as a pilot. Today I speak with her about her experience going from building components for intercontinental ballistic missile systems and having no piloting experience, to becoming a first officer with Delta in merely three years. We also talk about her love for the outdoors along with the joys and perils of climbing mountains and glaciers. I find her story of relentless, singular focus on her goals to be very inspiring, and I think it needs to be heard. Laura is a model for folks who want to make a career pivot into something they love. Quick apology, we were speaking on Google Meet, and so at times there are lags and small imperfections in the audio, but uh, we're jumping right into her background at the beginning here, and enjoy. Uh, yeah, so I, I got my master's in mechanical and aerospace engineering and worked for a little bit as an engineer on the civilian side at Hill Air Force Base. And it's pretty cool getting to watch the fighter jets take off and land from my relatively stuffy cubicle. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to go and become a pilot and do what they were doing. Uh, so I embarked on that journey. Wow. Well, and, you know, we've talked, obviously, or I've known you for like close to five years now, I think. And uh, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I knew you back kind of when you were, you were on a different uh, trajectory at that point. Um, yeah, it's definitely so, changed. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so how did you kind of end up making the switch? I, and remind me what you, so you were studying um, hydrodynamics, I believe, like when I first met you. Yeah. So I, I was doing particularly like fluids and um, like fluid mechanics and lots of anything in relation to like air being treated as a fluid or water. Um, and so that led me to get an aerospace engineering job at Hill Air Force Base. Um, right, right. And, um, and what were you doing while you were at Hill for that time? Um, I was working on designing rockets. Whoa. Um, like which is really like, it's really cool work. It just, I think the, the routineness of, uh, you know, nine to six job, five days a week, I didn't love. And I loved that I got to like learn new things and interact with um, lots of smart people. Um, but as I got to watch the, watch the jets flying, I definitely was more excited about flying planes. percent. <laughs> And so yeah. tell me a little bit about what you did then to pursue piloting. Um, so I moved to Phoenix, uh, which was a little bit, it was a little bit of a shift, um, but I figured I could fly every day of the year in Phoenix because it's pretty much always sunny and it's very rare to get weathered out. Um, so I moved there with the goal of getting everything done as quickly as I could so that I could go back to living in Salt Lake because I really... I really love the mountains. Um, and I um, I think have a slightly unique um, flight training story because I was able to accomplish all of my ratings and my 1500 hours in under a year uh, due to not taking any days off, which you know is questionable for 
you know, I, I enjoyed it, but um, I know that a lot of people maybe don't get excited about not taking time off. And I also, yeah. I was able um, to start like a plane improvement business, um, which enabled me to get just tons of flight hours in a really short amount of time as well. What was one of those days like? So, so you took this year where you you basically didn't hang out with anybody, yeah. didn't touch a sip of alcohol. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you you're away from you know uh, Nick, your your boyfriend. What what was so? What was a day like during that time? Um. Well, I was lucky enough to have made a really close. Um, really close friend who was in the industry with me. And so she and I spent a lot of time doing these missions together. Um, but we'd wake up uh, like four-ish in the morning um, because as it turns out, Phoenix can get pretty hot. Um, and so we'd wake up, we'd start really early and <clears throat> she and I um, worked to ferry planes to different places to go see various mechanics because sometimes uh, when we were buying and selling airplanes, we didn't always start out with, um, we started out with planes that typically had some serious issues with them. So she and I would work as a team and fly them to somewhere to get fixed. And then often would do flight instruction then in the afternoons, um, come back, help, help students learn ground school. And then that evening I'd try to get a run in once it wasn't sweltering hot and then uh, go to bed and repeat. Oh man. And what time were you going to sleep? Yeah. You know, I tried, I tried to be always in bed by like nine or so since, um, I do enjoy getting like seven hours of sleep every night. That's wow. I'm like, a nine, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like a, a nine, nine hour? hour kind of person. <laughs> yeah. I'd like, I just, yeah, I'm so luxurious with my sleep. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> insane. So 4am to 9pm and yeah, for like a full a full year, no days off, not even like a Sunday. So how how long does it normally take someone to get their fifteen hundred hours? Because and I say fifteen hundred because I I I've heard uh, correct me if I'm wrong that that is kind of the threshold to in order to enter work for like one of the regional players like Skywest. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, I I think it normally takes somewhere between two to three or maybe four years, um, depending on uh, how much people want to work. So we are limited um, due to like rest regulations um, by the FAA for what you can receive for compensation, um, which is a thousand hours in a 365 day period. Um, but there's no limit to how much you can fly for your own personal enjoyment. Um, right. So I did, I, wow. I was lucky enough to be able to fly, fly a ton. Um, yeah. Right. And so after, so you, you blitzed through this year and, <laughs> and then, and, and um, how did, how did you get on board with Sky West? How did you find them? Um, I, I think it's always tricky because it's such a, like the regional airlines, I, I think is such a dynamic scene and SkyWest seemed the most stable option to me. Um, my end goal has definitely always been to work for Delta. Uh, and I was trying to figure out which, 
which regional I thought would set me up the best for that. Um, and I, I actually, I only interviewed with SkyWest and I got accepted with them. Um, and yeah, so I spent, I spent two years at SkyWest, um, a year and a half as a first officer and then six months as a captain. Um, and I, I don't know, I met, I met some really, really cool people along the way, but also we worked some pretty, pretty tough hours. It's much better quality of life now that I'm at Delta. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I've heard is that it's just a big, it's a game changer when you transition from like a regional player to the majors. Why, why is that? Do you, do you know, like, can you explain kind of why? Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of that. Uh, That's a great question. I think Delta, like I think the majors have more capital. Um, yeah. And SkyWest doesn't have a union either, which has advantages and disadvantages. Um, but I do think that because Delta has the ha, does have a union, we we do get more relief on rest um so we we get more more time off um for better or for worse some people really like working a lot and others don't so yeah right um and um so what what was the total amount of time would you say between when you like you had no piloting experience and when you were a first officer at delta yeah i so i think i've been I've worked extremely hard and I've had a lot of amazing support around me, but I, I was able to do it in three years. And and um, how old were you when you, like, when you first got on with Delta? You're, that was just about a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. I was 27. Right. Mm-hmm. So. And so, I mean, that has to make you, that has to make you one of the youngest, I would imagine. Has there been anybody younger that you've come across? There have, crazily. Like, I th- um you can get hired on at 23 and I believe there are a, f- a very small number of people who got on at like 23 and 24. Um, so that's, that's pretty wow. crazy. Yeah. And, um, and you, you have like a personal sort of relationship to Delta, don't you? I do, which is awesome. Um, uh, my dad is a pilot for Delta and my mom is also a flight attendant. So I definitely was aware I've definitely been um, immersed in the the Delta community, which I think is part of the reason that I think all the majors are pretty great. Um, but definitely Delta definitely has stood apart, I think, because of that family connection as well. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, I know that the elephant in the room here is, I mean, unfortunately, that you know, I, I mean, just due to the you know, the <laughs> events uh, related to COVID. Um, it sounds like you know you're you're gonna have to go on a, a furlough here in um, October. Um, Most and, likely. Uh, <laughs> although it's, it sounds like you know it sounds like they're bringing you back, um, you know, for for a couple weeks here in, in just a minute. Um, but uh, I was wondering, you know, so what are your what are you doing, um, kind of in in light of the furlough? Like, what's kind of your game plan? Yeah, you know. I feel really grateful that I didn't um, study aviation in college as well, because I feel like I have some, I have some really 
a great experience to fall back on. And so I did a I did some coding and obviously engineering in college. And I've been working really on building my, my software engineering skills. And also um, I'm trying to start my own business as well and offering um, ground instruction and oral and pre-oral exams for people's check rides. So I've been building a website and creating a lot of content um, to hopefully be able to help students and create um, some income that is still in aviation because I really, I really love flying um, and I'd love to keep doing that. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you took me up in, in a clip, in eclipse jet yeah. <laughs> the other day and yeah. that was an experience. Um, I love that eclipse. Know, we were, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a tiny jet, but it puts out so much power. Um, uh, can can you sort of how did that work exactly? It's because we were on this like very small, um, we had we had a very small amount of airspace to work with, right? Like, what what was the the distance that we had? We had just over a four mile um, in a four mile in diameter radius around um, around uh, the South Valley Regional Airport in Salt Lake. And it was particularly exciting in the jet because very quickly we were going uh, 160 miles an hour, um, which closes that space very rapidly. And normally jets will, if they're making a circle in the pattern, so flying over the airport, typically they fly 1500 feet over the airport, but due to its proximity to Salt Lake International, uh, we actually only had a thousand feet to work with. Uh, so you're just much closer the sight picture to the ground is much closer. So it makes everything happen really fast. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's exciting. Like it's super fun to yeah. get to, you got to just be really on top of your skills and make sure you're fully aware of the capabilities of the jet and the limited airspace. Um, so you don't infringe right. on, was- on, uh, on the, the airspace around the international airport. Yeah. I, I was just going to say it was very, I mean, it was very zippy. Um, it felt <laughs> yeah, like, once, yeah, and so we, we, we got, we got right up against, you know, the, um, airspace for the Salt Lake city or, you know, like the, the Salt Lake city kind of yeah. approach airspace to the airport. And we had to pull this like high, well, I thought it was a high G turn, <laughs> um, sort of like, uh, avoid it. We uh, we dipped the left wing and you just like you know jerked us uh, back around uh, the circuit, <laughs> and uh, yep. I think we I mean at the yep. most we probably pulled like one one point eight g's, but that just felt like really intense to me. Yeah. Um, what would have happened if we like dipped into the, um, you know, the airport's airspace? Yeah. So we we still had we still had um, about half a mile I think to three quarters of a mile. Um, before so there was some of the buffer which is always good because uh you know i'm not i've never i've never busted airspace so i'm not exactly sure what the ramifications are but i do know that it is very it's very dangerous like it can cause a big problem and the faa will come like is legally allowed to come after your licenses and potentially revoke them if you um transgress into airspace oh. It's a pretty, it's pretty Yikes. severe, which 
it, I mean, it makes sense because um, there's so much traffic going into the international airport. They want to protect all these large, all the large jets that, you know, I, I fly with the airlines um, that carry a lot of passengers. Uh, it, it, it's, it's dangerous for if a small plane were to go into that airspace. Right. Um, yeah. Like I heard at, uh, what was it? It was like a, it was one of these, uh, British airports like Gatwick or Heathrow or something yeah. like that. It was very recently there, they, there was someone like flying a drone around and they had yeah. to ground all aircraft for like hours. Yep. It's, it sounds like even, even something that size can cause a huge disturbance. Yeah, it's it's kind of insane. Well, air, air traffic control does does a really phenomenal job. And if um, somebody, if a plane gets in airspace where they're not supposed to be, or somebody's flying a drone, uh, they if they don't know the location of the drone or of the airplane, they will completely shut down the airspace so that there's no casualties. Um, if they if they know the location, they can operate to some extent, uh, but it. It causes a lot of inconvenience to a lot of people. Oh yeah, I'd be pissed. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same, uh, same with like the laser imagine. shootings too. Um, like oh, shooting yeah, a laser into planes. Yeah, it's really, really ever, dangerous. I'm sorry. Has that ever happened to you, or have you? Do you know folks that have like had has, something like that happen? I, ha I have had it happen to me, um, and I think like. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal if you just like shine a light at an airplane, but the problem is it, uh, the whole flight deck gets like illuminated extremely brightly. And so you lose your night vision. And if you're flying a precision approach, um, that's pretty problematic to not be able to see where you're going. Oh yeah. So, so what did, <laughs> so some little, some little shit out there is like shining a light at you. Yeah, they shined a, they like, shined a laser at us. Or, or yeah, laser, I mean, and, and, uh, so what do you do? Like, what do you, do you continue what you're doing or do you try to ignore it or uh, how, how does that work? Um, yeah, I, I was flying into O'Hare, uh, at night at SkyWest and someone lasered us. Um, we were still, um, about 8,000 feet off the ground. Um, so we were able to, um, from guy with guidance, like with ATC, like, yes, we got, we got blinded by the light, but it came back fairly quickly and we weren't close to landing. So it was not as dangerous as if you were really close to landing. Um, but you report it to air traffic control and they uh, they note your position and go try to find whoever it is so that they can um, take legal ramifications. Yeah, hopefully like rough them up a little bit. <laughs> I'd be yeah, so I, I don't mad. even know that, right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I I don't know that they even realize how dangerous it is to pilots. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that I don't know that it's malicious. I I but it, it is a problem. <laughs> uh, it, it totally seems. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> um, I, I wanted I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, um, you know, you so you mentioned you were working at uh, Hill Air Force Base, and mm -hmm. you know you got to see that. So Hill Air Force bases in Utah, it's north of Salt Lake City, and they have, um, you know, like the F-35 um, fighter jet, you know, there, that that's like one of the main jets that they have stationed there. Um, yeah, which is super cool. And uh, so I was curious, you know, I, yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit, and my dad um, and, and I were sort of, 
I think peer pressuring you to check out the, <laughs> the Air Force Reserve. You know, is is that something that you know um, you've you've given any more thought to, or um, you know, it it sounds like you also know a lot of people who who do it and and fly in the airlines, and um, you know, I was just wondering, you know, if if you had heard what what the lifestyle is like, um, or or anything like that. Yeah, I honestly, I think I think um, flying the F thirty fives or being a part of the Air Force seems really amazing. Um, and I, I've certainly thought about it. I didn't initially choose it. Um, I think because I started uh, flying a little bit older and I didn't, I thought that that would just, that process would take quite a long time. Um, but you had mentioned maybe just doing the reserves. And I think, I think that that could be very exciting and fun. My only fear is I accidentally hit a squirrel driving my car today and I was mortified that I killed an animal, like a little tiny animal. And I just don't know if I have what it takes to shoot people. Yeah. I mean, that is, <laughs> I, I mean, that is, I guess that is, you know, that is the other, you know, the, it's, it's uh, really awesome to fly these jets, but yeah, you do have to kind of remember their purpose. Um, like, like, I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's amazing to serve our country and, I think it would be super fun to fly those jets, but I think when push comes to shove, I would have troubles pulling the trigger. Um, I'd be interested to know how other people kind of um, deal with that side of, you know, that side of the equation. Um, I would be really interested. Somebody who, <laughs> I, mean, you know, I forgot to ask my dad about that. Yeah. You should ask your dad. Cause like, I mean, theoretically, you know, you're, you're, you're protecting our country. Right. Um, and I would imagine that you can kind of dissociate the, the greater good of that. Um, I just don't know that I can. Yeah. Well, still, I am very excited to hear <laughs> if, you know, if, if once, if, you know, if, and when you do talk to a, a recruiter or something, I, 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 you know, I'm, yeah. I'm living vicari vicariously through <laughs> you. Um, yeah. You know. I'm I'm really hoping that I can so. um yeah I'm really hoping that I can fly the eclipse more and uh instruct in the eclipse um I think that it's that would just be a lot like a ton of fun it, there's nothing quite like having that type of performance on such a small jet which is why the F35 would be incredible but uh yeah the eclipse is really fun right and Ken, and maybe just for folks who don't know, like you, maybe you could describe the eclipse a little bit. Yeah, so it's a six-seater, six-thousand-pound um, uh, twin-engine um, jet, and it's quite fuel efficient, and it can fly um, 0.64 Mach, or about a relative airspeed of 285 um, knots an hour. Um, so pretty, pretty fast, little, it's thing. pretty fast, light and nimble. Uh, so it's, it's yeah. great fun to fly. And, uh, I mean, it seems like there's, there's like this kind of small community of, uh, people who are like really obsessive about eclipse jets. Is that right? That just kind of is my, you know, layman's, uh, yeah. impression. <laughs> there, there totally is. But I kind of feel like this happens with most type of airplanes. Like I think that. I think I, I think I can make a great argument for a lot of different airplanes 
Um, and I, I think that some people just get really focused and excited about one. And you know, if I, if I had the if I had the resources to own my own Eclipse jet, I, I would certainly be excited. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a fighter jet exactly, but it, I mean, it kind, I mean, it looks acrobatic. I mean, it's got those. It's got yeah. the. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just got a very. It's got a cool little look to it. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. So. Um, it totally does. So outside of uh, flying, so like, what else um, do you like to do? What's what are what are? I, I think you have a lot of hobbies, and I was hoping you could tell me a little <laughs> bit a little bit more. Oh man. Uh... I love anything that enables me to go play in the mountains. So climbing, mountain biking, skiing, mountaineering, hiking, really anything. Um, and basically if somebody wants to teach me any new thing, like I love just learning. I do some, um, some coding and I, I play the ukulele, which is a lot of fun. Right. Um, and well, okay, and then that that reminds me. Um, what's the story behind the ukulele? How did you end up picking up the ukulele? <laughs> well, um, I took a bit of a tumble in the mountains, and I uh, needed to lay low for a few weeks, and. I have never really learned any musical instruments. And I was like, now is an amazing time to learn a musical instrument. And what is a small enough one that I can take with me on my layovers for work? Uh, and so I ended up picking the ukulele. And the ukulele is amazing because roommates love it. It sounds great out of the box. It's not quite like learning to play a violin with roommates. Um, and it's really fun playing around a campfire and singing with friends. Yeah, totally. And, and, and sorry, I just want to back up a little yeah. bit because I feel like, I feel like you completely understated your little tumble <laughs> in the mountains. Um, could could yeah. you maybe explain yeah. what was going on and how high you were and stuff like that? Yeah, I was rock climbing and um, I was in the, in the Wasatch Mountains in Salt Lake and two bolts ripped out of the wall when I fell. Um, so I ended up decking on a ledge from 40 feet, which I was super grateful to have an amazing climbing partner who helped me rappel down four pitches uh, and then helped me, and then uh, helped get me out of that situation. So it was not ideal. I, I haven't, gotten back to as good of climbing as I was then just because it's it's a little scary when equipment that you think is sturdy it ends up ripping out of granite <laughs> I can only imagine so you were you were yeah. five pitches up do you remember the route you were doing in in uh, I think it was little Cottonwood Canyon right I on it embarrassingly, I like kind of I forget the name. Um I should I should look that up. I should know that. Um but yeah, it was it was in little and it it it, it was actually like bolts um that, that pulled out. And I'm just I'm just grateful that we had decided to bring trad pieces as well. And what ended up holding was a cam that we had just 
that I had decided that I had placed as, oh, I don't know, this feels kind of run out. Let's place an, an extra cam. Um, so I'm really grateful that you did that because, yeah, I don't know how much further I would have fallen. Wow. So, so actual bolts ripped out. So these were, these were yeah. pieces like of protection that someone else had gone up a long time ago and like drilled into the wall. Like those things yeah. are supposed to hold, aren't they? Like they're not supposed they're to rip out. Like supposed to. Like I think, cam. I think the lesson that I learned from it is it, this, this, the climb, I, I need to look up what the name of the climb was, but it didn't have that many reviews on mountain project. Um, and so moving forward, I'm, I'm not really doing first ascents is not my thing. Um, and I think that I also, I need to have more people have done the climb um, and have it be a more trafficked route because if it's more trafficked, uh, the gear gets better maintenance. Have you been climbing outside uh, since? I have um, on very easy things. I haven't pushed my grade on anything. Yeah. So that was, that was two years ago. Um, and I, I had thought that this season I would probably, I would, go and do a bunch more climbing, but then COVID happened. Um, so it's been the year of mountain biking. Where do, where do you like to, what's your uh, preferred uh, territory for mountain biking? Oh, oh, I get excited anywhere. I'm not picky. Wherever has a trail, I'm stoked. Um, I do, I do. I, I obviously mountain bike a lot in Salt Lake because that's where I live. Um, but we spent some time in Oregon biking as well, which is wonderful, and in Colorado, and in Phoenix, in Sedona. Um, so, I, I I think everything like I like I like all the variety of different types of landscapes for riding on. And um, you're also quite the mountaineering enthusiast as as well, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you've 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 bagged a lot of peaks, haven't you? I have done a number. Um, most of them are in Juneau because that's that's really where I had access to snowy mountain peaks. So. Juneau, Alaska. Yeah, Juneau, Alaska. So I, I lived Fine. there for five months in the summer through the summer and fall. What brought you? <laughs> I actually yeah. didn't even know the story. What what brought <laughs> yeah. you to Juneau, Alaska? Um. So during my undergraduate degree. Um, in engineering, I, I've always been fascinated with Alaska, and honestly, I just applied to a lot of different engineering jobs, and that would enable me to go live there. And so I, I was studying the flow of the Mendenhall Glacier, um, and I got to do that for for five months. And and so you were up on the glacier like mm -hmm. every day, or. Um, no, not quite every day. Uh, we, we went through phases. Um, sometimes you'd be in the office and then the next week you'd like camp out on the glacier and take lots of samples and measurements. And occasionally, if you were lucky, you'd, uh, get the helicopter ride up to further points on the glacier. Um, but more often than not, we were, we were climbing it, uh, and then spending the night. Yeah. I think one of my, my most memorable experiences actually was wow. when, we were planning on just a day expedition um, and the weather classic mountain weather looked like it was going to be perfect sunny great good weather um, and we we brought overnight equipment just in case um but ended up an unforeseen blizzard that made us stay on the ice sheet for 40 hours as opposed to our 12-hour day that we had initially anticipated um 
and you're kind of just stuck because you're surrounded by crevasses and we, we can't navigate them uh, when we don't have any visibility. So it was good team bonding. Got very close to uh, our, uh, our expedition group. <laughs> so were you, when you were up on the glacier, um, like, did you have to, um, I don't even know how they cross, um, you know, the, the, the chasms or whatever, you know, uh, the crevasses, like, did mm -hmm. you ever have to kind of, you know, throw ropes across and cross over a crevasse? Um, no, we, we, uh, we never, we were able to navigate around them. So we didn't do, we didn't do any ice climbing per se. Um, but we'd rope up like there was a, there was a team of three of us. And so we'd rope up with each other and space out enough um, because sometimes the snow can cover the crevasses and you can fall into them. And so the other two team members, you have ice axes. And so you can self arrest and, um, and basically pull that person, pull your, your teammate who fell into the crevasse out. Wow. So it, did, it's, did you ever, it's a lot of collaborating. Yeah, it, it happens. Um, I think we only had to, I, I never personally was in the lead at the point where we discovered a crevasse, um, but it, it happened, it happened twice. It's, oh my God. It's thrilling. <laughs> so, you can say that. <laughs> and they were okay, I assume? Yeah, or, yeah or it's totally fine. It, like wow. you space the rope out enough that, um, and you keep some slack in the rope so like you can see them fall. Um, and then you just, you dig your axes into the snow and prep for some tension. It doesn't, it's not as scary as it sounds. Wow. Is it kind of like a climbing fall in a way? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, and, it requires like your teammates to know what yeah. they're doing. So like we did a lot of practice before we actually went out into the glacier. Like we did a lot of team exercises um, and lessons and then, yeah. And then, and then we went out. And, and how, how deep are the crevasses? Like, I mean, are they, do they just go, I kind of have this mental picture that they're like hundreds of feet. Maybe not hundreds, but they, they could be, they could be, you know, on, on this particular glacier. I mean, it varies from glacier to glacier, but on this particular glacier, we didn't encounter ones that I would guess were more than 80 feet deep. Wow. And that, that's totally a guesstimate because I never took a tape measure to it. Right. Just, but I mean, good enough to mangle you pretty bad, if not kill you. Yeah, yeah let's not fall 80 feet. That'd be good. <laughs> I'd prefer <laughs> to not do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, totally. And I mean, and so w when you were in Juneau, uh, did you, what, like, did you get a chance to hike any of the iconic peaks? Like I know McKinley is, well, McKinley is, I know, not proximate to Juneau. I think that's more toward it. Anchorage, but uh, did you know? Did you hit any of the the big ones? Um, I I did not travel. I didn't go anywhere outside of Juneau. Um, yeah, we were. I was working quite a bit and just wasn't. I did most of the excess or most of the close summits to Juneau. So um, there's like Thunder Mountain. Um, Mount Juno, Roberts Peak, Tabletop. There, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty to keep you busy. Well, and so you know, turning back to the present. So, yeah. Uh, do I have it right? You're living in a van right now. You do. <laughs> we are. 
And, uh, and, and so tell me a little bit about that. So you, it sounds like, so Nick, who, um, uh, you know, I think got you into the van life, he'll, he'll go to some far flung place and you'll, you'll meet him somewhere. At least that's how I remember it was working, you know, with, uh, with Delta, you would, you would sort of fly and meet him somewhere interesting. Yeah. How, how did, how did that go? And where, where did you guys, uh, what kind of interesting places did you guys end up? <laughs> so pre COVID, um, it, it, it was really, it was really awesome because, um, Nick's a software engineer and me being a pilot, I just needed, um, to have him draw me off at whatever airport. And then I could commute, um, to my work with the airlines and then come back and meet him wherever he was. Uh, I think some of our favorite places have been, um, Bend and Hood River, Oregon. And we've also, uh, done this in Yosemite. So we'd go, uh, go hiking or backpacking. And then he dropped me off at an airport. I'd go to work and he would stay with the van, work remotely. And then I'd meet up with him as soon as my work, my trip was done and we'd go play outside some more. Yeah. And, and what are the sort of the future plans for, for the van? Are you guys, do you guys have a, a big trip lined up or um, are you going to kind of turn, turn static like the rest of us? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever turn static. I don't think it's quite in our blood. Um, I, we did just buy a house, which is a big step at having a home base, but we are only calling it a home base and we're planning to still spend um, about half the year out exploring places, but have half the year to, you know, it's really wonderful to have community and friends that you see on a regular basis. Um, so like we, we want the best of both worlds, ideally. That's the goal. Oh, that just sounds <laughs> so nice. So like- it sounds so nice. I have to- I have to say, I, I envy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really fun. Um, it's not for everybody. I mean, I had to get used to not showering every day because I do like showering. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a much more compact space. So you just have the essentials and all the toys, all the toys to play outside. Nice. So what do you carry with you? Speaking of toys. <laughs> um uh climbing gear mountain bike um just been getting into kiteboarding so looking to pick up that equipment as well um yeah i think that's that's about it running shoes and kite so kiteboarding that's sort of a new i i saw nick, the the beginning of nick's obsession with this and i it, it seems like you're getting into it as well um and uh, what's that like? I mean, have you have you gotten up and and what's the learning curve like on um, on kiteboarding? It is super hard. Um, I'm very humbled when I go kiteboarding because I royally suck at it. Um, it's a lot of just like swallowing water, but those moments when you control a kite and you go flying with it are so exciting. Um, and I'm I'm pretty new. I've really only been out three or four times. Four times. Um, but Nick's gotten pretty good. Um, but it's just like, I would compare it to like learning how to ski for the first time. Like there's, it takes, it takes a lot of time to get proficient at it. Uh, and kiteboarding, I think you're, you're learning how to harness the wind as well as trying to figure out what this board is doing on your feet too. And what's the, what's attached to your feet? Is it like, it's like a wakeboard? 
it's pretty similar to like a wakeboard or a surfboard. Um, and your feet just like slide into it. So you're not, at least for the ones that we've been using, like you're not, your heels aren't like strapped in. So um, as is kind of a safety mechanism and you wear, you know, wear a helmet and an impact vest and. Um, wow. I, I would love, yeah. I would love to get more into it eventually. Yeah. And, and like, how, how high do you go? Like, or, like, or when, when you have gotten picked up, like how high off the ground do you think you were? I've picked my wind to be on very light days so that I don't fly that high. Um, people who are good at it, I don't know, 10 to 20 feet. Um, me, I've only, I've only gone a few feet. Uh, but that is by design. You can really mangle yourself um, when you're, when you're kiteboarding, right? I mean, like, have you, have you seen that happen? I haven't. Um, it doesn't, I, I, I don't see it as that much more dangerous than like mountain biking or something. I, I think that it's, there is a fair bit of calculated risk. So I can choose to not go on windy days or when winds are more consistent um, and, mit and mitigate some of the risks. I, I haven't known anybody who's gotten seriously injured, but then again, I've, I've also only gone four times, so. <laughs> a lot to learn. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, Laura, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I think it was just really cool to, you know, hear your story and uh, to share it with the world. Um, <laughs> Thanks, you know, I, I, I particularly, I just really wanted to hear, you know, you talk a, a bit about your experiences, you know, sort of coming from, from, from zero to pilot, um, yeah. you know, in, uh, in, in as short of a time as you did. Um, it's been amazing. Do you, do you have any, uh, like sort of parting words for, you know, people who might want to emulate your path, you know, become an airline pilot. Do you have, do you have any advice that, you know, you've, you've, um, kind of come by, uh, on your way down this path? Uh, hard work beats genius every time. And do you have kind of a specific, uh, example of, of that or, uh, something you're you're thinking of when you say that? I just, I feel like there's no limit to how much you can achieve if you're willing to put in, put in a lot of hard work and um, recognize there's going to be a lot of obstacles and people can help you along the way. Uh, but ultimately it's just going to take a lot of effort. Um, yeah. And I think by trying to be, just kind to everybody you you encounter, even if it's been a really rough day. For for me, um, it makes makes the journey far better. True words of wisdom. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Laura. I, I'll let you go. I know it's about dinner time here on the on the you know the West Coast. So um, thank you so much for talking you. to me. And uh, I hope. Yeah, I hope I hope you you know I can get you back on for for something else um, aviation yeah. related because I, uh, I I I think that's going to be a big theme on this podcast. So sounds great. I'm I'm stoked. Yeah, thanks, Nick. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you might be listening to it. If you're not already, also check out my site at nickrroberts.com. And subscribe to the newsletter there, which comes out on a monthly basis. It covers technology, product development, aviation, history, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.